the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. The Jewish Hour can now be heard on jcastnetwork.org, your portal to Jewish broadcasting. It's also on iTunes and on your smartphone using the Stitcher app. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finnan. We've got an absolutely fantastic show today. One of my favorite subjects all time, Jewish music. We have on today, we have Mr. Yelstrom, who is one of the world's authorities on klezmer music. He's written a book called Spiel, the Art of Playing Klezmer. Absolutely fantastic book. Can't recommend it highly enough. So this is definitely one of those things that's going to educate you and entertain you a whole lot. The portion of the week this week is the portion of Vayera. We're continuing the Bible story, Jews in the Desert. It's Exodus 3, uh, verse 2, for those who are following along inside. We've got an eclectic bunch of music for you. We'll be playing, of course, some klezmer music in honor of Mr. Yale Stroman and, of course, in honor of yourself. An awesome story because today is the anniversary, the 200th anniversary of the passing of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe. So we have a story about the Alter Rebbe, really one of those that's not normally heard. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Egyptian security forces in the Sinai Peninsula intercepted a shipment of American-made anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles headed for Gaza. Bedouin trackers and Egyptian intelligence led authorities to the smugglers. An arrest warrant was issued for one of seven people who assisted a man who killed six people and himself in a bomb attack on Israeli tourists in Bulgaria last July. No details were given except that the suspect is male and his country of origin is known. Very suspect there. 500 Palestinians in Janine attacked a unit of Israeli soldiers who entered the city to arrest a Palestinian wanted for involvement in terrorism. 
The mob surrounded the troops and threw stones and Molotov cocktails as well burnt tires. The soldiers used tear gas to disperse the mob. Israel's population stands at close to 8 million, the most it's ever been. Roughly 80% or 6 million identify themselves as Jewish. A gang of Arabs brutally attacked an American yeshiva student visiting with his family in Venice, Italy, in what local community leaders said was a rare instance of anti-Semitism. 2012 saw 70 cases of anti-Semitism reported in Italy. Daniel Magrufta, a 24-year-old Iranian Jew, was murdered in his home in Tehran. It's officially been called a break-in, but nothing was taken from the house. Magrufta was dating the daughter of a member of an elite Iranian guard, and his house is also located next to a large mosque that wanted the house to expand into that area. Something very fishy going on over there. Abraham Avraham Alderi, an Israeli accused of spying for Israel, has been jailed for the last several weeks in Yemen. It's just now coming out. Alderi holds Israeli and Yemenite citizenship both and also goes as Abdullah Masan Alhimi Al-Se'eri. I suppose I'd just stick with Avraham Alderi myself. It is the first time that an Israeli citizen was arrested for spying in Yemen. Israel has completed the construction of a 150-mile security fence along the Egyptian border. The fence is equipped with modern security systems and is designated to prevent Islamic militants, drug dealers, African migrants, and asylum seekers from entering Israel from Egypt. This is actually big news. It's actually very big news in Israel. Israel is the first country in the world to pass a law restricting how thin models can be. No model, male or female, can be used if they're if their BMA, their body mass index, is less than 18 and a half. Images have been photoshopped to show a skinny model must use at least 7% of the ad space, saying that the picture was distorted. The laws to protect teenagers from eating disorders. Last year, 1,500 Israelis were diagnosed with anorexia. That means those who came into the hospital. 75 died from the disorder. There's some really exciting news. We're going to have to follow up this one. Taliban forces hiding in caves in northern Afghanistan found a trove of hundreds of Jewish documents dating back over a thousand years. The documents, written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Judeo-Persian, include pages from the Bible, commentaries, and personal letters. Twenty-nine documents went on display at the Israeli Museum this week. There's some really good news for those involved with the Balkans. Montenegro has given land to this in the center of its capital, Podgorica. Now, if anybody asks you, what's the capital of Montenegro? You could say, well, I know that that's Podgorica because, after all, one of the things we do in the Jewish hours, we educate people, which is the capital of that small Jewish, small Balkan country to its smaller Jewish community to build the country's first synagogue in centuries. The building will be erected by Vadim Rabinovich, a Ukrainian philanthropist. About 350 Jews live in Montenegro, but they say they have an active community of 100 members, which is really all you need for a community, which is a population of 600,000. And finally, 11-year-old Esti Ackerman, remember that name, Esti Ackerman, opted out of competing in the 2012 U.S. National Table Tennis Championships, also known as Ping Pong, because the final match fell out on a Shabbos. Ackerman said she was greatly disappointed that her match was scheduled for Friday night, December 21st. She hopes one day to compete in the U.S. Olympic table tennis team. 
And that's the news. Do you know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Hey, Shul Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We have on live... Mr. Yale Strom, who is at this point one of the world's leading experts in klezmer music. How are you today, Yale? I am very well, and how are you, Herschel? Good. Thank God. Thank God. Thank you for taking up some time and coming to visit us. You've written a book called The Spiel, The Art of Playing Klezmer, and more than the art, what I like about it is there's a great amount of the book devoted to the history of klezmer music. It's a very interesting thing I have that goes on over here in uh, our studios here. Depending on who the board up is, I, I make sure that I always play every week at least one klezmer or one Yiddish song just as to keep in with the genre because people are into it. This week I'm having to be playing that old favorite, the klezmer Charleston. You must be familiar with that one, 1928. Yeah. So uh, the, depending on who... So one board op, this is a person who helps me run the show, will say, you know, that klezmer music sounds like gypsy music, or that klezmer music sounds like polka music, or that klezmer music sounds like bluegrass, or that klezmer music sounds like Gaelic music, or that klezmer music sounds like... Could, is, is there really that type of a connection, Yalestrom, between the world's various genre of folk music that they all basically borrowed one from each other and just sort of like became whatever they needed to be, like for the klezmers it needed to be the Jewish sound at the time? Right. Well, you know, you know, uh, these various genres that you've been speaking about, you know, they, they they often share the same instrument. So, you know, when you hear an instrument, whether it's bluegrass using the violin or Roman music, gypsy music, violin, uh, Jewish music, violin. So, you know, already your ear says, okay, that uh, I recognize that uh, the violin, uh, you know, can only produce so many different kinds of sounds, even if you have different scales. And what makes Jewish music Jewish is the DNA, is the old... These old, very old scales that you know that to uh, to the um, non-musician who's just listening says, "Well, that sounds Middle Eastern to me. That sounds Arabic. That sounds like you know Easter. You know, that sounds like uh, music from uh, Yemen, Saudi Arabia, Israel." Well, the truth is, uh, the scales that Jews have been playing and singing to, right, and. Uh, as well as Arabs, I'm not going to say Muslims. I always say the the, the 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 scales are older than the word Jew and older than the word Muslim. There's just, you know from ancient tribes, so we have these scales. So that's the DNA of the music. And then, as Jews uh, wandered, and for all the various historical reasons we know, uh, pushed out more or less out of uh, the land of Israel, um, they adapted themselves in all in many aspects of the, the culture, maintaining themselves as Jews, but also say, hmm, let's borrow this, let's, let's adapt this, whether it was food or clothing, including music. So they would take melodies, folk melodies, sounds, scales that they were uh, hearing uh, in the, the local lands that they were living among the other indigenous people and added it already to their ancient scales. So the the... the uh, you know those old Arabic, those old Middle Eastern scales, then were mixed. So then you have, so you have Jews now in Europe, and you have Roma people, particularly the Gypsies, Roma, a more proper name, um, 
Jews and the Roma are marginalized people, meaning they were stateless in a sense. They were minorities, uh, wandering from one end of Europe to the other end of Europe. Similar to the Jews. Exactly, exactly. Accepted sometimes and then uh, wearing out their welcome sometimes. And, uh, and marginalized people have to find work. So when you're allowed to do certain things and not allowed to do certain things, you gravitate to the things you're allowed to do. And uh, music has been uh, a part of the Jewish uh, heritage culture since, I say, since the uh, fourth chapter in the Chumash in the Bible where it talks about Yuval, who plays a, a type of flute and type of harp. So music is a part of our expression, a part of uh, reaching out to God and reaching out to, to express our emotions, whether they be happy or sad. And so the, the Jews found a niche, so did the Roma find a niche, being able to play music, being doing it very well. And thus you start uh, in Europe by, by the, um, oh, t- certainly by the 12th century, not even a little earlier, um, are being, the Jews become known. Uh, that's a certain profession. Oh, if you need you know, good musicians, get at least a couple of Jews uh, to come play for your particular uh, dance, uh, you know, um, wedding celebration, etc. And so these different people have borrowed. So, you know, you know, I play the violin, so I could make a, a, a klezmer tune sound kind of bluegrassish, so to speak. It's the way I use the bow, certain scales, um, uh, you know, so yes. So to the ears of all the people that work at your wonderful station, there are there's only so many things you can do with the notes um, that borrow from each other. But what but but I'm, I will give you the biggest difference, though I guess to the un, to the uninitiated uninitiated is um, Jewish music, klezmer music, Yiddish music is mostly in the minor keys, not always, but generally, and that's because of the way the scales. It has nothing to do well. You know, Jews walk around, you know, sad with a cloud over their head. No, it's those because those are the scales that come from, as I was just saying, from ancient, ancient uh, Middle East, most likely Central Asia, by the way. Uh, it's, a, it's very interesting why... You know, where the, where the music travels, right? Yes. My daughter, just to put that point about middle minor scales, um, many of my kids are very musical. I have a daughter who's really into piano, and she was learning to play Pachelbel Canon in D. Okay, which everybody knows that that's like considered the first classical piece. And it goes, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, so, so the chords to it are dum, 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 dum. But if you move right. that to a minor scale, what you get is something that goes, so there is that borrowing. Is it? Is it? Could we? Could we say that the development of klezmer music over the century was basically based on what people were willing to pay somebody to play? <laughs> the thing, you know, listen, the, the DNA. You know, as I say, what was the school for the for the klezmer musician? He didn't go to the music conservatory. He went to the synagogue. What was his uh, text, his notation? He didn't uh, read music. His text and notation was the Chumash, the Bible, the Tefillahs, the prayers. Uh, and so that's where he learned. And so he took those basic melodies, using some of those, the, the, the more ancient ones before, of course, cantoral music was changing in Europe for various reasons. And you're right, and, and mixed it with local uh, music. And so, I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I guess the best example is here come along, uh, after many hundreds of years of Europe, we have the, the rise of the new philosophy of Hasidism, 
with the Baal Shem Tov, etc., in the 18th century. Very good. And all the various things that it gave to Judaism, including it really gave a shot in the arm to the musician. Why? Because we know music is such a cornerstone of the Hasidic philosophy, uh, using music uh, with uh, through prayer and, and, and dance to reach uh, a level of heightened... Uh, uh, ecstasy to reach God, okay, and to you know, and God can hear your prayers and understand your thoughts. So the Hasidim composed their own melody, melodies, and they borrowed many a folk melody from peasants, from Ukrainians and Poles and Hungarians and Roma Russians and Belarusians, and put a little twist on it, made it a little Jewish. What does that mean? How do you make a uh, how do you make a, a Polish peasant a peasant melody Jewish? There is the ornamentation, as you read in the book. That's the key. Spiel, the art of playing klezmer. It's not just saying, here's a note, here, here's a scale, D, E flat, F sharp, G. So you have that space and a half. You have that, you know, do 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 Well, you know, you, you know, Mussorgsky and Tchaikovsky did what makes a difference with it, with it in the hands of a Jewish fiddler or a clarinetist or a cymbal hammer dulcimerist or a trombone player is the ornamentation. And that ornamentation is directly connected to the voice. So violent ornamentation comes the way the cantor, or before we even called him the cantor, just the, the shleich sibor, the one who was the guy leading the prayers. The prayers, and yeah. exactly. And so you're right. So you can, so, and last but not least, you know, as we say, a Yiddish cup, a Jewish musician comes to a town, he's hired uh, to play for a Ukrainian wedding. He's not going to stand on ceremony and say, I'm only going to play Jewish klezmer music. Uh, the guy would say, uh, Moish, I love you. But guess what? You better play some uh, Ukrainian dudes, too, or we're not going to ever hire again. Or you know. So in other words, you have to adapt yourself to the situation. And Jews have great ears, and musicians have great ears, I should say, in that sense. And um, you play uh, all kinds of music, including Jewish. And what happened is the Ukrainians, the Russians, the Roma, uh, Hungarians, Slovaks, they said, wait a minute, we love that melody. That sounds like ours, only a little different, <laughs> you know? So, yes. Uh, so, for example, let's, I'm going to jump around in uh, chronology. I really wanted to, like, start from, like, whatever and go work our way up. But just for pur- pur- purpose of segueing. So when Frank Lendon, for example, takes, like, a klezmer piece and puts in some, like, Frank Zappa dissonance, we can still call that klezmer, right? Yes, exactly. I mean, um, that's a good example. Um Frank or anybody myself, yes, you, you you still you can still hear aspects of the klezmer. Now, what? So, and that's a good question, good comment, because some people there are the purists and well, it's not really klezmer anymore. It's a jazz oriented, a rock oriented, a reggae oriented. Well, yes and no. I mean, um, I say to people, a klezmer musician who played a Freilox, a happy piece. That's the ubiquitous name of most. Well, the dances in the Klezmer repertoire, Freilux, okay, in, in 1913, okay, in Minsk, Belarus, for example. Okay, wonderful tune, that sounds, oh, it sounds Jewish, that's the original, that's, uh, I can hear the ornamentation, I can hear the crack, I can hear the breaking of the notes and the crying, the glissandi, etc. Okay, uh, that same uh, violinist, great, 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 great grandfather back in 1513 in Minsk plays a Jewish piece, and you say, well, yes, it's Jewish, but I don't know. This it doesn't sound like I recognize from the early part of the 20th century. Well, tunes change, and our styles change. Nothing, nothing, nothing was created in amber, and and so when people say, oh, authentic Jewish music from 1913 or from 1890, okay, but what about the casts that were playing in 1490 or in 1413? 
because Jewish music's been around then, because Jews have been around a lot longer than 1913. So music changes with what people are hearing around them and experimenting and adding it to their repertoire. And so nothing is, as I say, stays in amber. And so even the, so the Jewish music we're doing today is changing, but it's still grounded in the DNA of those ancient scales. When you, when you take away the ancient scales and you really change it, then I could say, well, you're, you know, then, it's, then it becomes sort of an abstract painting. You know, someone can say, I'm going to throw, you know, I'm going to flick painting on the wall and say, wow, that's modern art because that guy, whatever, you know, Klee uh, uh, or Rothko, you know, they made millions. Okay, or Picasso. Well, all right, but guess what? Picasso and Rothko and all those guys could draw the figure of a body uh, three-dimensionally, you know, a nude figure. It's not so easy. So in other words, I tell musicians today, before you break down Jewish music to where to the discernible ear it doesn't sound Jewish at all, you better be able to play the traditional very well and then take it where you want. Mm -hmm. Let's let's back up a little bit. I was actually uh, fascinated with the term klezmer as you're defining it. I always knew that the word the Yiddish word klezmer comes from the Hebrew kli zemer, which means musical instruments, as opposed to say the uh, a cappella type ensembles. But I never knew that there was a pejorative meaning behind the word klezmer. If you could explain that, please, Yale Strong. Well, um, as I earlier was saying. Um, Let's take, you know, so Jews now are living in Eastern Europe. It's uh, 17th, 18th century. Being a musician was one of, you know, it was, uh, it was a, a wonderful prof a profession in many ways. It gave you self-satisfaction, but you generally were poor. It was tough to make a living, and you had to travel uh, often, you know, from one uh, village or one uh, city, one dorf or shtetl uh, to, to go to the different gigs. Uh, so sometimes you're on the road for a couple of days, sometimes you're on the road for a week, week and a half. And so um, the arts, you know, uh, people, you know, you know, the stories of the klezmer musician, okay, where's your husband? He's on the road. Okay, you know, who's he with? Uh, is he going to a tavern and drinking with non-Jews? Is he drinking up all the money, meaning drinking, you know, alcohol? Um, or, oh, your husband's a klezmer, but meaning, you know, it's low status because of the money. Um, you know, it's not a Talmud Chacham, which is the highest, you know, being a rabbi, a smart, wise, you know, person of the Torah and the Talmud. Um, uh, and so these, and also it was connected with other non-Jews, you know, the Roma, the Gypsies, or Ukrainian musicians. And so there was this love-hate relationship. You needed to have a klezmer. I always say one of the, my favorite sayings I learned many years ago was, you, you know, a wedding without a klezmer was worse than a funeral without tears, which is, mm. which is meaning setting. So you better have at least, you know, Moish der, der Fiddler playing at the Hasana, even if he doesn't play so well, because, um, we'll, you know, we can't send the, the bride and the groom on their way into their new life without some music. So there was this back and forth. So there were some Klezmoim that had good social status, for example, in Yash, Romania, um, there were, you know, uh, there were some Klezmoim that's all they did, they could just play music. But most had to have another, as we say, the day job, the day gig. So there were barbers, or there were tailors, um, shoemakers, something, as well as doing the music um, for the different uh, simchas. So there was a love-hate relationship, and it was pejorative. Yeah, oh, you're just a klezmer. Instead of, oh, I'm a musicant, meaning I'm going, you know, by the 
18th century, 19th century, you know, a musician who's going up to play classical music. I'm going to the orchestra. I've been accepted. Oh, you're playing by ear. You can't read notes. You know, not unlike many people still, even though it's not the same, but some people say, oh, uh, oh, you're a folk musician. Oh, that's nice. Meaning, oh, my son, you know, is a third chair in the New York Philharmonic or Detroit uh, Symphony. Oh, what does your son do? Oh, you know, he plays in a bar mitzvah band, <laughs> you know. So it, often the connotation is connected with economics, which is, of course, wrong. Just because you make more money doesn't mean you're any better a musician. Understood. Our guest today, if you're just tuning in, is uh, Yale Strom, who's an expert in klezmer music, written, just recently written a book called Spiel, the Art of Playing Klezmer. There, there's various genre of Jewish music in America today, and uh, I always make sure to try and mix it up as much as possible. Uh, definitely things which are people would not call klezmer. People would not say that Avram Fried or Shlomo Karlbach were klezmer musicians. 200, 300 years ago in, in Europe, Yalestrom, were there parallel Jewish musics, or basically Jewish music was what we now have just lumped together as klezmer? That is a very good question. Most likely, uh, there was just there was Jewish music. It was mostly what we consider, you know, a klezmer music, as well as then the synagogue, uh, you know, cantorial, the prayers. You know, klezmorim would take the those many of the tunes that they played, and they would take from the synagogue and then add the ornamentation, add you know, uh, ramp up the rhythm a bit so you could be danceable. But yes, you didn't have as many uh, genres, very limited. And why? Because people didn't travel as much, and there wasn't, you know, people Jews in uh, Bialystok, Poland, did not know what the Jews of Yemen were doing, or the Jews of Cochin, India, etc. Today, you know, click of an internet, you know, look at you and I, and this is old-fashioned telephone. I'm in San Diego, you're in Detroit, but I mean, you know, but I, I you know, I can get off this phone and talk to somebody in Cochin, India, if I want mm-hmm. to. So the exchange of ideas over the last uh, 100 years because of, uh, of electronics and media uh, technology. So there was less of that definitely 300 years ago. Mm-hmm. What really helped change Jewish music, um, traditional klezmer music as we know it, was by, you know, uh, was um, the phonograph. Then when you heard the phonograph, that then that creates sort of this uh, sort of almost like a cast iron uh, copy. In other words, someone hears... Um, a great uh, cantor, Hazen, uh, I don't know, Yosla uh, Rosenblatt, singing uh, the Cold Nidre, for example. So when you know a kid listens and says, "Wow, that's beautiful," and that's that's the way it should be, because you know you you see this item, it's a, a phonograph, it's like you know it's, it becomes the Bible of music, and so you grow up learning note by note, phrase by phrase, exactly how um, uh, Rosenblatt sang and interpreted that tune, and so it becomes. Uh, it becomes sort of the standard bearer of how it should be done. And so when you hear a, a Freilax or you hear a Jok, that's a, a Romanian tune, bump, 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 uh, you know, kind of rhythm, Romanian uh, folk rhythm that Jews incorporated, you learn it from an old uh, 78 and you say, oh, I'm going to play it exactly like that because that's the way he recorded it. And those guys must really know because it's in this, it's in this hardened form called uh, a 78. You know, it's like when we say we can find something in a book, it's got to be true. It's been printed. Mm-hmm. It's published. It's you know it's something I can. It's tangible. I can hold it. I can smell it. I can read it. So um, 
that is how uh, music started to travel and become what it is today. Okay, let's move on to America. Uh, with everything else, Jews traveling, instead of traveling between Poland and Russia, Germany and France, etc., now find themselves at the end of the 1800s, beginning of the 1900s, traveling across the Atlantic for financial reasons. And klezmer music was supplanted into America. So how did that go over with, with uh, the Jews and the general population, Yelstrom? Well, you know, for the Jews in the beginning, you know, very well. I mean, you know, the first generation Jews, let's talk about particularly the East European wave starting in 1881. There were Jews obviously earlier, but the German Jews already had sort of moved a little less away from the, that. They were, uh, in, in, uh, you know, more enlightened, and let's say they were sort of... Uh, Cosmopolitan, of yes. Their traditions, exactly. So, um, so the first generation Jews coming from um, Eastern Europe were nostalgic, nostalgic for home. So having Yiddish songs written about home, like my state of Belts, or about mother, my Yiddish mama, etc., etc., etc. And hearing tunes, like I said, the Freilachs, or a or a Breigas dance, or a Mechatonim dance, or a Jok, or a Hora. Um, they remembered when they were younger or whatever, and so they played them. So they had them for their simchas, for their weddings, for their balls, uh, Purim dances, etc. Um, but now musicians by the early 20th century, um, if you were only playing Jewish music and you're here and living in the Lower East Side or Baltimore or Philadelphia, you know, basically the eastern seaboard area, um, it was hard to make a living only playing Jewish music because there just wasn't, you know, the Jewish population was large for America, but it wasn't like in Eastern Europe. So you had, to, if you wanted to be a musician, uh, and make some kind of uh, uh, living. You had to learn other kinds of music, and of course, the other kind of music, the local indigenous music, was American folk, American pop music. And of course, by the World War One, what was that? That was what early types of jazz. And so, Jews found themselves recognizing the scales, because often jazz is written in minor scales. It's modal music, so you have lots of um, sharps and flats in the in the notes, and so. To their ears, the rhythms were different, but to their ears, they're saying, oh, I recognize this, I, I can do this, I can learn it at home or fake it enough to maybe get accepted to play in a band. So it starts changing that way. Mm-hmm. By the 30s, late 30s... So hence, let me just interrupt. So hence you have something like in 1928, you have the Yiddish Charleston, for example. There you go. That's a good... Exactly. You had music in the 20s, in the early 30s, starting in the 20s and going up through what we call sort of, I called it, Jazzmer, or you know, klezmer mixed with jazz, or klezmer jazz, or Yiddish jazz. Uh, you had tunes that uh, that were uh, um, had a, a Jewish element. You could say, "Well, that sounds Jewish because of the scales ornamentation," but it had a swing bounce to it. And then then they even put English words to it, or they had Yiddish words to it, but it had the swing feel. You know, the ubiquitous by Mary Bister Shane. You know, to me, you're so beautiful. The classic written in. Uh, and probably get cold on this, I think, uh, 36, 37. Mm-hmm. Or Shandy um, de Lavana, these type of tunes. Yeah, Shandy yeah. de Lavana. I mean, there was one called Otto Zoik, Nate de Schneider, and there goes, uh, you know, the, the Taylor. Does well, uh, Cap Schneider? Yeah, exactly. Schneider, well, Cap Calloway did a swing version of that because he heard 
you know, his neighbor across the street singing it every day when he was a little kid in Yiddish, you know. He was living in Harlem. Jews lived in Harlem. Blacks were living in Harlem. So there was a cross mixing of, of cultures among African Americans and Jews in, anywhere from the, the teens up through the early 40s. And sure enough, musicians are going to borrow from each other. So, yes, music started to change. That's one reason why it's Jewish music. But the other reason is assimilation. So the second generation, okay, you know, I'm, you know, I'm born here. Yes, I'm speaking Yiddish. Uh, I don't think I necessarily want to take my, you know, corned beef on rye or my salami sandwich to school because it, you know, it smells, you know, with all the garlic and kids are making fun of me, et cetera, et cetera. We, we assimilate. You know, why does a human assimilate? Well, they want to be like everybody majority, else, you know, I mean, whether right or wrong, and they do that. And then so by the four, by the forties, fifties, sixties. Right. And, and that, well, moves on. And, of course, well, then they have the World War II, the Holocaust, and that, the spigot of, of Yiddish immigrants coming. And then literally by the late 50s, you have that second and third generation of Jews who's just saying, you know what, I'll throw in one or two horrors in my wedding, but I want the, you know, I want the, 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 the early rock music or swing music or whatever for my wedding or for my parties because eh, yeah, it sounds right. too Jewish. Right. We have, I, have, I have a couple of CDs that were sent to me. One of them was called... Um... What was it? It was called the. Uh, come on, beach, beach, bl- beach blanket, Yiddishists or something like that. And another one, <laughs> and another one was this. It was a, a it was a wedding band and or a bar mitzvah band, and everything was played on electric guitars. So you had like played played with you know really awful. But go ahead, yes. So, oh, so yeah. Jewish, it's, it's, it's Jewish is good if it's good for like a, a bar mitzvah or a wedding. You play some like you throw on some Jewish standards over there, and you know. Well, that was it. So fiddle around the roof. Right. Well, the people were changing. No, their their tastes were changing until quote the revival began in the mid seventies, and and I talk about that in the, in the book. You know, with the the roots syndrome. You know, when the the, the wonderful book by Alex Haley was turned into the movie of of you know of African Americans going way back as late well. We were slaves, but we were also from a great nation, or you know, a continent called Africa. We we weren't just slaves always, and so that whole aspect of soul searching, who we really are. Well, uh, Jewish musicians who are playing bluegrass and and American folk and rock. Um, People like Yale Strom, for example. Said, yes. Hey, yes, there you go. Exactly. Who grew up hearing Jewish music? But yeah, Jewish music. Okay, I play a couple little tunes here, but you know, I'm I'm going to play rock or American folk or reggae or whatever. And it said, wait a minute, they like, get out some of the old 78s, scratchy 78s. Wait a minute, these guys really could blow. This is some good stuff. Listen to the harmonies and kind of that big Jewish band sound. And that's it. It just takes, uh, um, you know, a couple of musicians, as it did, particularly in Berkeley, uh, the close mooring, they came famous. And then, of course, in the East Coast at the same time, around 74, 75, um, Andy Statman and Zeb Feldman. Mm-hmm. And eventually, uh, like, thank you for adding me to that list. I came just a hair later, about 1981. But anyhow, right, musicians uh, doing it well, not just, you know, kind of uh, kitschy and, and amateur stuff. These are musicians who really could play all kinds of music. And, and then there's a new hip audience, kids that were growing up, the kids that were born in the 50s, 60s, and, you know, 50s and 60s saying, wait a minute. We're 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 past this of being ashamed of our Jewish past or whatever. We're we're interested. I want to know why I only know Yiddish epithets or Yiddish punchlines, but I don't know how to speak Yiddish, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Thus begins the renaissance of just kind of of Yiddish culture, as I say. Klezmer really helped put the interest of Yiddish culture on the map, 
to where then we have the Jewish film festivals and Yiddish festivals and Yiddish being taught in not just one or two, three universities, but many universities and where people get a BA. Right. I'm actually handling with teaching a course of Yiddish at Wayne State University here in Detroit, yes. Oh, and, 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 and they oh, want it, yes. Yeah, well, so. well, there it is. So you, Herschel, very good. This came about, I really have to say, the catalyst for this renaissance is squarely put on the shoulders of many classical musicians starting in the 70s and early 80s. We won't say only, but certainly did it. Made it palatable, because first if someone says, you know, I'm interested in getting back to my Jewishness, but, oh, Torah, I forgot Hebrew when I was, uh, I haven't been in the shul since my bar mitzvah, whatever, right. I'm a little nervous, maybe I don't believe in God, maybe I do, whatever. I'll go sit in the dark corner of a little club, and I'll listen to this Klesmer band play. And all of a sudden, the Pintalilagid is, is touched. In other words, something about that music touches him. And lo and behold, they start to learn more about the music, play the music, but they want to learn more about Yiddish, Judaism, etc. And I will tell you, I know true examples, many examples, where there were Jews who grew up, you know, conservative Jews, Reformed Jews, lapsed Jews in the sense of religion. And Klesmer music not only brought them back to Judaism in a religious way, I know a couple well-known musicians who became rabbis, and the music was the first was the first aspect of of Jewish culture that they uh, participated in. So there you have it. The well, music is a powerful tool. Okay, that's going to do it. We're actually well over, but I could spend the whole hour talking about this. Right. Our guest has been Spiel. The our guest has been Yale Strom, who's written a book, Spiel: The Art of Klezmer Playing. It is published by Scarecrow Press, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Roman and Littlefield Publishing Company, at, available at roman.com, Amazon, and wherever fine Jewish books are, are uh, sold. Yale Strom, thank you so much for taking out your time of your busy day, and keep us apprised of future developments. Definitely, Herschel. I'll just a quick shout out. Mother's Day, whichever, whatever day that is this coming year, in May, I will be out there with my lovely wife, and we will be presenting a, a big uh, Jewish play uh, called The Witches of Lublin, a radio drama at the Jewish Community Center in Detroit. So Mother's wow. Day, come see us. We'll be, and there will be klezmer music there. Terrific. Wonderful to hear. Okay, take care. All right, Herschel. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you. We're going to be right back. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Chiropractic Healthcare offers patients the advantage of a safe and natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. People of all ages, including children, benefit from chiropractic's unique approach to health. Call area code 248-557-1818 today to find out how chiropractic can benefit your family. At the Solomon Chiropractic Center, we especially love children. All kids should have their spines checked periodically throughout their crucial growing years. Growth on a crooked foundation will create a crooked spine and become harder to correct later in life. Kids love to get adjusted at the Solomon Chiropractic Center. And hey moms, did you know that chiropractic offers a safe, drug-free approach to helping with the many pains women often get during and after pregnancy? We even have special tables which open up so pregnant women can lay on their stomachs. We treat moms, dads, children, and grandparents with arthritic pains, neck pains, back pain, and headaches. People of all ages, including kids, benefit from chiropractic. Come experience the natural method of healing without the use of drugs or surgery. Stop living in pain. Call area code 248-557-1818 today for a free consultation at the Solomon Chiropractic Center to discuss you and your family's health needs. Remember, 557-1818. That's 557-HIGH-HIGH. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. 
That's MI for Michigan, KO for kosher, and SUP for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. We're talking so much about the Charlton Klesmer. This is a 1928 recording from Shlomo Pistico, I believe is how you say his last name. And let's get right to the Klesmer Charleston. studio of Oak Park is now accepting students. Whether you're a real beginner or have been at it for a lifetime, the Art Studio of Oak Park has something for you. All levels welcome, all ages welcome. Private tutoring or small friendly classes. Flexible hours available. The Art Studio of Oak Park is very affordable. Make your life better. Put art into your life. The Art Studio of Oak Park offers lessons in a strictly kosher environment. Call today, 248-542-5087. That's 248 248- 
1-800-285-5087. It's great having an art room right in the neighborhood. Hey, Rachel Finman here. You're listening to Jewish Hour. So if you noticed the uh, Charleston beat with the klezmer uh, rifts in there, that's like a good good amalgam of uh, what we were talking about today with Mr. Yellstrom. we got time for one more song. This is actually a request. A woman by the name of Betty Epstein from Atlanta, Georgia, listening via Stitcher every week, she tells me, would like to hear something about from Safam. Safam is a group we haven't played in a long time. I don't think they've cut a, a record in a while. But just so happens there's a Safam song that deals with what we're talking about in the portion right now, the exodus of Egypt. The song is called Amnesty. Thank you, Betty, for contacting us. Let me make it clear to you 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Do you know the best place to buy fruit and vegetables? Why, it's at Frutasia. Located on Southfield Road, just south of 13 Mile, Frutasia provides quality, value, and the most wonderful environment to shop. You'll enjoy the spacious aisles, excellent selection, great prices, and friendly staff at Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Just a reminder that Frutasia on Southfield Road and 13 Mile is now selling kosher meat, along with all the other things that they sell there. Mm-hmm. This week's portion is a portion of Va'era. It can be found in Chapter 6 of the book of Exodus. It opens up with Moshe complaining to God that why is it that the Jews are being treated this way? And God's response is, I didn't have to answer to Abraham, Isaac, and Yitzhak. What do I have to answer to you for? So what's going on over here? What's the, what's the big deal? It's true. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob serve God as expression of their emotions and their emotion based on faith. Abraham was thrown into a furnace and walked out because of his desire to promulgate godliness and his faith in God. Isaac was prepared for slaughter because of his reverence for God and his faith to promulgate monotheism. Jacob endured harsh suffering suffering, and was a man of great compassion in serving God for the purpose of promulgating monotheism. Moses was an intellectual. It's not a bad thing. Moses approached God saying, listen, I really want to understand what's going on over here, which is very valid. When the Jews received the Torah, they said, Nasev and Ishmael will do exactly what it says, letter perfect, but we want to understand what it says as well. So God said, that's great. I love it that they want to understand. Yes, we must involve ourselves in Judaism with our intellect. We have to find the reasons. And even if you don't find the reason, you have to still go look for the reason. It's not so much the answer, it's the process, just like new math. So what did the Almighty tell God? I appreciate your inquisitiveness, but the very basis of our Judaism is our faith that everything is running just the way it's supposed to. We gotta take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Exciting story with the Alter Rabbit. Don't go away. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Some of the best jobs in the world are in the radio and television industry, and you too can join the workforce in as little as eight months when you complete your hands-on training at the Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts located in Southfield, Michigan. At Spex Howard School, students get to play and learn at the same time. 
Imagine spending your class time behind the microphone, spinning music and hosting your own radio show, or designing and lighting a set for your own TV program, running a camera, learning to edit, directing a program. When you go to Specs, your day will be anything but dull. And if school is this fun, imagine how exciting it is to work in the growing industry. In addition, the credits you earn while attending Specs Howard School are currently accepted at 14 area colleges and universities. If you've always wanted the best job in the world, call for a tour of Specs Howard School at 248-358-9000. That's 248-358-9000. Or visit them on the web at specshoward.edu. Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. This is where you start. Hi, this is Specs Howard from the Specs Howard School of Broadcast Arts. We're happy to sponsor the Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding for the Jewish Hour comes from its sponsors, it's listeners like you that help keep the Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour, 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. That's 14,000 West Nine Mile Road, Oak Park, Michigan, 48237. Your help is greatly appreciated. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? The best way, www.rabbifinman.com, R-A-B-B-I-F-I-N-M-A-N.com. You'll find their archived editions of the show, the Hasidic U-Parsha, the Hasidic U-Story, the U-Parsha, the E-Parsha. These are all missives that I send out in various forms and media. They're all there. You'll be able to contact me if you have a question or a request. I love getting requests. We've been getting requests every week for like the last uh, six, eight weeks. We've been getting requests for music. I love the challenge of going to see if I have such a thing that can accommodate people. And, of course, the all-terrific donations page. We paid for December on January 4th. It's not good. We're supposed to pay for December on January 1st. And I don't know where January is coming from yet, but I know it's coming from listeners like you. So if you would like to hear the words and music, inspiration, hopefully, and entertainment that you're getting here on Detroit's only Jewish radio program, one of the world's actually few Jewish radio programs, that's available, getting letters from China and uh, Germany and all around the world, people looking for this media. So it's definitely something which is wanted, and I'd like to expand it to two hours, yes, like it was back in the WPON days, but that all costs money and can only be done with supporters like you. So go to therabbifinman.com, click the donations button, Make a donation any amount you like. There's lots of numbers. You just click them, and if you got your own number, that's fine. There's lots of numbers in the number system. It's all tax deductible. It'll count now for 2013, but that's good. 2013 is a good year, too, and you'll be happy that you did. Closer story. Today is the anniversary of the passing of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe on this date in 1813, excuse me. And uh, it was pretty much similar like it is this year. There's a story that there was a, a he had a, a messenger by the name of Zalman Zesmer that he sent out to collect funds for a specific project. It was going to cost a lot of money. And he told him before he left, do not sleep in a house that, whose door is on the eastern side of the house. So very strange. He uh, ran around, did all his collecting, got the money, was on his way back. There's a horrible snowstorm. And he just barely manages to find a, a cottage with some peasants. And he, he knocks on the door. Can I stay here? They say, sure, come on in. And uh, he sits down, and he's sitting by the fire. And he says, I have to pray, I have to pray the afternoon prayers. What, which way is east? And she says, that way. 
and he notices us to the door. So he immediately puts on his coat and leave, and gets to leave. But at this time, this woman's four sons come into the room. They tie him up, and they empty out his wallet, and they say, you're not going anywhere, Jew boy. The father comes home, and he takes a look and says, this is great. we got a lot of money over here. Let's celebrate. And uh, he uh, says, we'll kill him tomorrow. They all got drunk. The father, in the middle of the night, woke up Zerb Zalman and said, you have to get out of here. They're going to kill you. Just go. And he gave him a gold coin and said, give this to your Rebbe and tell him that it's from an old sinner. And he went and he went his way. He came to the Rebbe and the Rebbe said, you don't have to tell me what happened. I know. I was really praying for you. And he took the gold coin and he stuck it in a crack in the wall in his office. Fifteen years went by. Zalman Zesmer at that point was the personal secretary of the Alter Rebbe. And an old beggar came knocking on the door for arms. The Alter Rebbe took the coin and gave it to him and said, you may recognize this man, but I'm returning his coin. What had happened? They uh, threw him out after they realized that he uh, did what he did. And uh, he was left to begging, but they were arrested there shortly thereafter and were all hung. And everybody lived happily ever after. That's going to do it. I thank you for tuning in. We hope we had a chance to educate you a bit. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a great week, and we hope to see you again next week. Thank you. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.